Hello, everyone. Mike Schiappa here, Chief Procurement Officer at Beeline, and welcome to the podcast series CPO Open Mic, where I'm going to bring you thought leadership, industry insights, current trends, and future thought-provoking topics. Each episode, a new guest from the procurement ecosystem will join me to discuss their area of expertise, passions, and a lot more. On today's episode, I'm joined by Dr. Eloise Epstein, partner at Carney Consulting, to discuss a few topics around procurement transformation and diversity, equity, and inclusion. Dr. Epstein is a digital futurist and Carney partner based in San Francisco. She has over two decades of experience working as a trusted advisor, working with clients to develop digital procurement and supply chain strategies. Dr. Epstein is a frequent presenter about digital procurement and an author of Trade Wars, Pandemics, and Chaos, How Digital Procurement Enables Business Success in a Disordered World, and a co-author of Disruptive Procurement, Winning in a Digital World Doing the Right Things in Procurement. So Eloise and I met last year, and right from the start, I knew that I was building a relationship with a rock star in the industry. And I remember that first discussion and I was really blown away with her knowledge, thought leadership and her ability to articulate practical, impactful, positive change on many fronts. And as a futurist, she works with leaders who aren't afraid of a challenge and seek a thought partner who will help them look far ahead. And I love this quote that I grabbed from her. And it goes, the middle of the road clients usually prefer incremental changes. That's fine, but that's not the role for a futurist. Let's get going with some future talk and and a little bit of the present. So Eloise, thank you for joining me and and welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Mike. It's great to be here. I always enjoy our discussions. So I'm looking forward to this. Great. Great. So when I think about procurement transformation, Eloise, a lot of things come to mind. When you think about, obviously, one of the major parts of of procurement transformation is the digital piece. And I think one thing that might get overlooked is I think companies sometimes struggle with having an overarching strategy of what they're trying to achieve as part of this large transformation. So do, do you see this in your dealings with your clients and what specifics would you perhaps like to share with my listeners? Yeah, first of all, you can't do a procurement transformation anymore without digital. And I would actually take that even further is that it has to be digital first. There is no other part of the transformation because digital touches everything. It changes everything. It changes not only your strategy, but the people that have to execute your strategy and run your operations to your governance, to your processes, everything changes because the technology is fundamentally shaping and changing how we operate. So then we have to go back to the drawing board on a lot of the stuff. And what you find is when you take this digital first approach (laughs) is that The way we've been doing things in the past is fine, but that's not the way it is going forward. And so all of a sudden, our assumptions break down. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think there's a lot of companies and people that don't think like that digital first. I think they go back to the traditional way of 
okay, what are we trying to achieve here? What's our overarching strategy? Back to my question that I asked. And it's really interesting. And I think when you start thinking about it as digital first, sometimes it can be daunting for, for some companies to think that way because they're not in that mode. We've seen a lot of change, obviously, in the digital space and the services that are being offered, especially over the last couple, three, four years. And obviously, new companies and new technologies bubbling up as we speak. And there's a lot to choose from. And there's a lot of different paths and avenues that companies can go down. When you talk to companies, how do you advise them on thinking through what the right partnerships are with the right technologies for their business? This will be a a wide-ranging answer, but it's back to the previous question is how do you change? How do you change culturally? And part of that change is to not be afraid of technology. And most procurement technology to date, whether it's good or bad, was designed for cost controls. And that's fine, except... (laughs) cost controls are largely getting automated. We have intelligence in these purchasing systems or we'll continue to have more purchasing. So that traditional way of working of constraining cost is going away, which actually is a really good thing because haggling over nickels on a contract or doing supplier onboarding or all of these very manual tasks, invoice reconciliation and so forth, All of those activities can be automated and should be automated. And so that frees us up as procurement to actually take on those more strategic things around ESG, around innovation or enabling innovation, around advanced partnerships with suppliers or third parties. So that's the context to answer your question the objectives of procurement have changed. And as such, the technology that's out there is either spurring that change on, but doing all that automation that I was just talking about, and then setting us up to do those objectives that will carry us through the next decade. So what I tell clients and really get them around is to be comfortable with this complexity, with this digital complexity. Because if you look at your iPhone or my iPhone or an iPad, most people's iPads or Android devices or whatever device, we have tons and tons, tens, hundreds, if not thousands of apps floating around. Mm. And so we are comfortable with this in our daily lives, just like nearly everybody is comfortable with buying on Amazon. And there's this stark discrepancy in how we do digital in our personal lives and then how it translates into the organization. And it's that dichotomy, that stark dichotomy significantly in procurement. Think about what you can buy in 60 seconds or less on Amazon Mm -hmm. and then try and buy a single thing in a corporate purchasing environment. And that's the disconnect. And so we need this consumerization of digital to make its way into procurement. And, and this complexity you talked about, Mike, is exactly what's happening now. So my push to folks is to get comfortable with it. This is no longer a one-stop shopping, a single provider, because if you're doing that, you're locking yourself in. 
Yeah, no, that's great. You hit on so many different topics there that we could spend four hours <laughs> I, talking about. But your, your last comment there about the, the multiple providers, and I, one of my questions was going to be around, is your opinion to, to look at best in breed approach with various APIs, connectors, et cetera, or is it more consolidated providers for certain pieces of their digital experience? Well, and I just wrote a book about the best of breed answering that question. But what I would say is actually less about that. It's more of we need to move to a platform system. So really what I'm looking at, we have this explosion of best of breeds and that's great. And what that's doing, it's not a one or the other. It's actually both. But what has to happen is somebody has to step in to be the platform provider. So your Android has the Android OS and your Apple devices have the iOS. So you have this platform and within the platform, you need this intelligence, this cross app intelligence, this cross app integration or the app store, this data foundation and this great user experience. The real challenge for the entrenched platform providers is can they make this pivot to this next generation architecture? Because their job is to harness all this best of breed. So I actually, even though I get tagged as being this best of breed proponent, Mm -hmm. which I am, but I'm also, you can't have one without the other. And, And so what I really have been trying to get is this understanding of that platform that has to go in, in, in parallel with all this innovation. Yeah, that's a great point. And that's one of the things that Beeline, we push out as we're the, the platform, the extended workforce platform, where we work with multiple partners across the globe, multiple technologies, where we are that single platform, but obviously working with multiple different companies, multiple different technologies, but the user experience is within that one platform. So yeah, I, I get it. It makes a lot of sense. And I think we'll have multiple platforms and that's really what becomes the ecosystem of platforms. And that's good. What the important part is though, is we can't have clients paying for all this integration and their users having to deal with the complexity as architects and as solution providers, that has to be transparent. And when we get to that level, then we know we will have succeeded. Yeah. And I think back to the user experience, it it all comes down to user experience. A lot of my experience running a procurement organization, I think we didn't give it enough value when we think about the internal stakeholder experience. And I'd love your opinion there too, is do do you see that within various companies that you work with? Not, you know, with the procurement organization focusing so much on what they think is the right platform or the right model and not understanding enough about the user experience and how that should work. Yeah. The first thing is procurement has been built around, I agree with you, it all comes down to user experience, but procurement has built these systems, portals, catalogs, punch outs, that were, that was technology from the 1990s. Mm. So we are in this, we are in a vastly different user experience realm. And procurement has not caught up to that. In fact, a lot of back office systems, if you will, have not. And that's what has to change fundamentally. And with a lot of these best of breeds that have been built in the last couple of years, you see a vastly improved user experience. But what you also have to be cognizant of is that it was so much complexity in the 
business environment, we need these sort of overlays of these user experience overlays that reduce the complexity for the end user. If we don't get the user experience, we're just going to perpetuate today's problems. I agree. Yeah, I agree. In your book, you talk about the how. How do you do digital procurement? And that it's current state of where we are right now. We know what the problems were in the past. We know, and you talk about that in the book too, which is all important, but I think it's how do you make it stick? How do you make that procurement experience different? How do you get that transformation to stick within the organization? What are your, some of your perspectives on the how organizations should be doing that? And what are some key components that you think lead to, to success? One is, is having a much more clearly articulated digital strategy. And, and by that, too often I have seen, because <laughs> I usually get brought in when a source to pay implementation has not gone well, and to help fix that is you can't just sign a contract with a big provider and then walk away and assume that it's done. That's actually just the beginning. And it's okay to choose a big provider, but that's you have to know that's just the beginning. And you, your work is never ending. And actually you need to, even if you put in an, a, a source to pay system and I grant you that it's, or, or let's say I may, wave my magic wand and give you, a perfectly functioning source to pay system that only solves your cost management, your spend management, if you will. There are still those other things I talked about, ESG, innovation, third-party management, ad advanced cost savings that don't necessarily fall in that platform. So you need to do quite a number, dozens of additional things on top of that. So the first thing is to really set that scope much bigger, because when you set that scope bigger, you realize you don't have the resources to deal with that. You see this from a resourcing point of view. Most folks I work with have half an FTE dedicated to the procurement platform, and that's not digital. That's not going to get it done. That's just kind of minding the source to pay provider contract. What you really want to do is start to get a much more aggressive a roadmap, and you really want to get and push and drive and bring this innovation in and drive towards uh, understanding the complexity. There are hundreds, if not thousands now of procurement startups. It depends how you define it, but mm -hmm. certainly hundreds and more entering the market every day. So your job as the procurement leadership is to understand what's happening. What are these solutions doing and how are they transforming procurement? And then to try them out, to really understand this, not all of them, but where they work. Your experience, Mike, it's in professional services. That's great. So work with the solutions that are in that sort of vertical. And you obviously don't need to work on like supply planning because that's probably not uh, as relevant. But when you think about professional services and some of these very category-specific solutions around facilities and certainly temp labor, these things, there's so much innovation happening around them that it's your job as the procurement leadership to get ahead of this and understand this, because otherwise you will just be playing whack-a-mole trying to keep up with this stuff after it's long gone. And then what I see, just to really uh, put a point on this, is the true leaders 
not only see this innovation and adopt it, but they actually co-innovate. And again, I write about this in the book because I interviewed British Telecom's procurement garage. And what they do is onboard startups in their earliest, earliest phases. So they get preferred pricing and all that quote unquote customization that happens as part of the product development. And so it makes it very easy for them to onboard in a very economical uh, and accelerated way. And that's when you know that things are really moving and you're really doing what it is, or at least on that path to true digital. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, I think, see, again, you bring up a bunch of topics there. And I think <laughs> if you go back to the, the internal piece of how digital is great, but how do you make that impact to the business and how do you make that value proposition come to life? And I think back of my of my experience in working for a very large Fortune 50 company and incremental change, even digital or any kind of change was hard. It was tough to do. The big splash bringing in a large transformation around uh, digital and bringing in multiple providers and doing pilots and try before you buy or what have you. It's a tough thing to do. I think, you know, so my question is, are you seeing senior leadership in this space really step up, whether it's procurement or procurement partners internally together, really trying to step up and make some larger shifts in their technology? Or do you still see the incremental changes where they think that they're getting to a best-in-class or a, a yeah, best-in-class type of digital organization? I think, for, for, first of all, <laughs> there's a lot to tease apart there. Yeah. This, this uh, best in class, I think that's, I blame consultants because I think that's a useless and arb it's totally arbitrary because every Fortune 50 company is different than the Fortune 50 company I'm going to talk to after this. Like, I can't compare the two of you, just to two totally different enterprises. So I think that's, the, the, I think we have to sort of like push beyond this best in class because I just, I don't think it fits anymore. I think there is a high level of competency, digital competency for sure. And so that maybe we, those are elements we can measure. But to your point about pushing the change, again, it, it gets back to how many people have spent millions, tens of millions of dollars on source to pay implementations that never delivered the value, the promised value. I, I would argue most of them. And, and I'm sure somebody will find me one that, that proves me wrong. But by and large, if you think about the hundreds, if not billions of dollars spent on source to pay technology in the hopes of these returns, then that's the going in problem. And, but to, to your point about the leadership point of view, if we are leaders in procurement, when we meet with the other executives, what are we bringing to the table? In fact, forget at the leadership level or the rank and file. Are our people just out there sitting in managing RFPs and managing negotiations? Or are they actually making a difference? Because if they're not making a difference, we can just automate all that. We can three bids in a buy. I mean, that's all automatable. And even a lot of the more advanced negotiations and, and contracting, and I alluded to it earlier, a lot of the pay stuff is getting automated. So what is procurement actually doing? If you get invited to the table, what is your value? 
and time and time again, I see procurement show up to the table with nothing, with playbooks that might as well be in three ring binders. So we have to ask ourselves, what are we bringing to the table? And when we start bringing value to the table, then we get that funding, we get that cachet, if you will, to do these new and innovative things. I'll give you an example. I was talking to one CPO who, as part of their sustainability initiative, wanted to do paper straws. And the business came to procurement because procurement knew where to find those and ensure a steady supply that, at a good price. So again, there you, there you go. There's a collaboration on a sustainability topic that was very partnered. But if you don't actually build that trust and build that faith in that you're bringing something to the table, then you're just there taking up space because it's quote unquote, a best practice. I couldn't agree more throughout my career. And as a leader in procurement, I've always strived to get my people to act like trusted advisors to the business versus just procurement people, just buying things for our internal customers, because that's where the true value is for the skill sets that the procurement, most procurement folks have. And I think that's the, the dynamic that needs to continue to change. And that goes back to what you said earlier on the podcast is getting the automation in place for the basic cost control elements that are 1990s and 80s type stuff for procurement, and then get your folks and your procurement people working on the more strategic things and getting that elevated within the business. So the business sees you as a strategic advisor or a trusted advisor versus a, a basic procurement buying type of person. So I still think I'm surprised that it's taken this long. It's, <laughs> it's, it's still out there and I'm not sure what the issue is there, but I think some people just need to step up and say, hey, this is what we're doing and here's the value that we bring to the table. I can, I'll make two points. One is what we bring to the table is data. And, and I know everybody talks about data ad nauseum. I can walk into any design meeting and bring all kinds of information about the supply market, about what's happening in it. And the amount of data that we as procurement have at our fingertips is amazing, especially, and that's part of the power of all this best of breed. And I know for a fact that Beeline, you all have amazing data on the external workforce. Whatever I'm doing, there's a lot of data to mine there and to bring to the business. You can look and see trends that nobody else can see. And if I'm hiring Beeline or any other provider on other topics, look at the richness of the data that I could bring into a meeting with my cohort and show and basically make myself look at. All you have to do is ask. And yeah. that's what we miss. The second point I would make is we have a new generation of procurement people. And that's from the entry level people all the way up to the leaders. And I write about this. We are witnessing a generational change. And procurement people are much more networked now. The pandemic has really accelerated that because we've all been from home and we're all connected and talking to one another. And we're all looking out for one another. And that's vastly different from before. We have folks coming out of undergrad and grad programs that actually know what procurement is and may or may not choose it, but they know what it is. It's not just the people making you do three bids in a buy. We also have a new generation of leaders that are not going to make the same mistakes. It's not to say that they're mistakes, but they're not going to just blindly follow the quote unquote best practices. They're, they're going to 
chart their own course and figure out what they want to do. At the same time, we have an older generation of leaders that really want to leave their legacy, especially when it comes around ESG topics and, and innovation or the com combination of the two. And they're making their mark by just stepping to the side and doing some really innovative stuff. I always say now is the greatest time to be in procurement. And that's one of the main reasons. And I agree, it should not have taken this long. It's killing me, absolutely <laughs> killing me that it's taken this long. But yet I see now is that moment where it's shifting. The new generation is great because they're bringing new ideas. They're bringing different perspectives to the table and they're pushing the envelope. I think they have a little bit more of that digital first mentality like you talked about. So I think that dynamic and trying to melt that with some of the more quote unquote old school procurement has taken some time, but it's a really interesting melting pot. Yeah. And, and look, if I were to hire you as the new CPO at whatever Fortune 100 company or Fortune 50 company, the question that it's theoretical question, where would you look for your talent? I would also point out that your talent doesn't necessarily come through the university system. I'm actually working on my next book now, and part of it, I'm looking at where you find talent. And there are some amazing supply chain people, I'll just call it supply chain writ large, on TikTok of all places. And they are people that probably may or may not go into university and come out with the degree. So the talent is out there. And to your point about they're very digital and they're very focused on the sustainability or the greenness of supply chains. And they're out there just on TikTok doing these su entire supply chain deconstructions. Those are the people you want to go after. So we sometimes have to break our thinking open and not just recruit on campus for some of this talent. Yeah, that's great. So I'm going to switch gears big time on us here over to diversity, equity, inclusion, which I think from a technology perspective, we're, we're behind, but we have some ideas and thoughts on that as well. But I know this is a passion of yours and you're very active in the space and I applaud you for that. I think it's fantastic. I'm really very pleased with kind of just the amount of activity and discussions and just the overall activity and the, the, the way that people are talking about it. You know, I think it's certainly gained a, a lot of momentum over the past couple of years. I know you're on webinars and I've done a few on them. And, and from a Beeline perspective, we're, we're doing some of our own. It's one of those areas where there's still a lot to learn and there's still a lot of progress to, to be made. But overall, I personally feel very optimistic and bullish in this area. Always, generally speaking, what are your thoughts on where we are today and how are we continuing to, to make positive change? Or even do you think we're making positive change there? I think the question I have is the one you posed earlier. What took us so long? We took a pandemic where we're all doing nothing but watching the news endlessly or social media and the George Floyd killing to really snap us out of the stupor. But Black Lives Matter started a long time before that, decades, if not centuries in this country. It's great that we've made these steps forward, but we have a long way to go. And that gets back to green, the sustainability part of this and everything else. We need to really focus on this. Consulting as an industry has struggled with diversity and it's taken a long time and, and it's hard work. And par part of it is it's struggle with the intake, the mentorship and then uh, ensuring the success. I've had a lot of informal mentors that have helped me. Without that, I wouldn't have made it nearly as far. 
And the only other thing I would say is in this hyper network area, I've had a lot of people externally help me too. So I think as we try to solve this problem, mentorship is a key bit, but also just setting the objectives and then it's just walking the walk and leading by example. It's easy to talk about it. It's a heck of a lot harder to do it. Yeah, that's a great point. I know some companies that are doing a good job at that and some companies that are at the infant stages, unfortunately, like you said, it's taken them a while to get things going in the right direction, but it's a hard thing to do. It's taken forever for us to, to even get to this point where we can put the spotlight on it, where the spotlight should have been on it years ago. Then you also have to ask yourself a question, what are you doing? Not you, but what is one doing, right? Yeah. Because people see this, people watch, people see things, or at least when you're not in the dominant uh, discourse and you're sitting on the outside of what is quote unquote normal, you notice everything. You notice things that others take for granted. As a trans person, when I was in the closet, I would watch, I would listen for language, I would listen for cues, I would listen for things that nobody else would pay attention to. I can verbatim repeat them back, things people said decades ago because I'm, I was listening for it. So as leaders, I think it's incumbent upon us to make a statement that we're going to work with diverse suppliers and we're going to roll up our sleeves and not overwhelm them with paperwork, <laughs> but we're going to get out there and we're going to take those meetings. And as leaders, we're going to meet with the juniors and really help them along and offer to informally mentor them and use inclusive language and correct ourselves and correct others. Sometimes we think that it's the big bang actions, but oftentimes it's the little things that matter. Affirmations in language have, have really huge impact because people notice that and people are listening for that, even if it's subconsciously. I, I couldn't agree with you more in the mentoring arena. I've mentored several diverse firms over the years and just very simple discussions, very simple acts of helping them out go a really long way. Like you said, in the world of everybody being connected and networking, the ability to help them network with future prospects uh, is hugely valuable to them. This is not new. I was doing supplier diversity over 10 years ago, but now it's shifting in our business within the contingent spaces down to the candidate level, how do we get diversity within the candidate level for the non-full-time employee side of the house versus just the, the internal, which is just as important. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done on that end as well. Yeah. And you're a procurement leader of any variety. Be open to people contacting you on LinkedIn. I take any meeting that people ask for via LinkedIn, well, probably more than I should, but from the juniors and younger folks, because I will do anything I can to help them along in their career paths. I think if all leaders did that, all sort of procurement or even other executives did that, it would make a big difference. That extends to contingent labor because connecting this diverse group and getting them into the contingent labor and helping them succeed and thrive as procurement leaders, uh, again, as, as a broader group, I don't think we really engage with the contingent labor in a mentorship area as much as we should. And I think that needs to change, especially for diverse candidates. 
I agree. I think overall, just my final two cents on this, it's some companies that are more inclusive, open, honest with their employee base and the way that they do business, they get it. And I think it's just a much better working environment for everyone. I've seen some research that shows diverse teams and diverse groups have a higher level of success across the board. So I think it will continue to work towards a more positive action there. I guess in future thinking, Eloise, do you, besides the things that we need to improve upon, do you, do you see any other speed bumps or roadblocks out there that might uh, impair some of the, the progress that we're making here? There are always roadblocks. And I guess that's a point is that I think those of us that are slightly older sort of grew up in an era where the disruptions or the speed bumps were perceived to be fewer and far between Mm -hmm. and that they were just these black swan events that happened every so often. But in reality, we are living in what is just, there's gray swans everywhere, the not so improbable. And you saw that in the news with the disaster in Afghanistan. And then we're going to go on to the pandemic keeps is spiraling out of control. And then next week, there's going to be something else. And then the next thing, something else. I mean, I could go, go back to Y2K. <laughs> <laughs> and really, it's not that the speed bumps are going to happen. It's just which ones are going to happen and how are we prepared for it? I think what the pandemic really proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that we were colossally unprepared. Yeah. And the point is that if we're going to operate in a globalized society, we need to be calm and build much more resilient supply chains. I mean that whether you're actually manufacturing something or in you know the financial space, we have to get better at understanding and operating with flexibility and looking forward and proactively to what the next big disruption is going to be. Which, by the way, I'll tell you right now, the next big disruption is going to be a massive cyber attack slash disruption slash outage. The signals are there. I don't mean the ransomware that took down the Colonial Pipeline. That was silly. Like serious takedowns of national infrastructure. And we are not taking this nearly as serious as we need to. That's coming. And what are we doing to prepare for that? That's the challenge. There are other ones that are going to come from that too. I'll just close with this idea that we do our digital transformations. That's great. But the whole point is to be much more agile or nimble and to have a culture of resilience, to be able to deal with this piece going down or that piece going down or uh, this connectivity going down. That's what we need to be able and prepared to do. Ultimately, this comes to be a cultural piece. And just to tie it to, to what you all are doing, This is cultural within your four walls and outside your four walls. So if you're going to run a globalized supply chain, you need to make it resilient with your people inside the four walls and your external workforce and your third-party suppliers. Well, that's a great way to close this out, Eloise. The time went by very quickly. So thank you so much for joining me today. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I always enjoy our discussions. And and yes, they go on way too long, but they're entirely the highlight of my day. I appreciate that very much. Thank you so much. Don't forget everyone to grab a copy of Dr. Epstein's new uh, book, Trade Wars, Pandemics and Chaos on Amazon. 
Thank you again, Eloise. This was a great uh, episode. This concludes the episode for today. Be sure to connect and follow me on LinkedIn and follow at Beeline VMS on Twitter to stay informed on upcoming episodes. I'd like to thank everyone for listening. Be safe out there and have a great day. 